It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, another quick update from our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. We are grateful for Brick Lane's support through the weekly episode, Storytime. Did you hear Daniel Norcross's wild 904 triumph? Are you kidding me? Start with Storytime 59 and then follow it up with Storytime 60. Totally worth it. And also, the daily episodes. Adam and Jeff have been super busy. You can find all of those, the daily episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch them on the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel. There are currently 23,000 subscribers. We'd love to get that to 25,000. So if you are not a subscriber to the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel, please stop by, check it out, and if you like it, subscribe. And then you'll never miss a video. In Cricket, there are great partnerships. Podcasting is no different. It's the partnership between the show, Adam and Jeff, the sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing, and you, the listener. I'd use your name, but I don't know who you are. But thank you. In addition to subscribing to the YouTube channel, please check out Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Say hello and tell them the final word sent you. You can order all your Brick Lane favorites at bricklanebrewing.com. It's a super easy way to get your hands on all of the various brews. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of the final word. And as always, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and the final word. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself And there's some stories I can tell you
This is the final word, story time. Your cricket history podcast with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Hello. Discombobulated midweek story time. Who knew that we could do a story time on a Wednesday? We can. Uh, we are. We we are doing it. We have proved the doubt is wrong. Uh, weekends, test matches, daily shows, uh, COVID outbreaks in the press box. Everything got a bit discombobulated in Adelaide, but here we are to try to put things back together, Adam, with this uh, before we record our Christmas interview uh, going into the festive season. Yeah, usually we say, well, well, it is said that from about Christmas Eve till the end of the Sydney Test match, you don't know what day of the week it is. And I I quite like Mm -hmm. that. I find that rather reassuring. Well, for me, this year, that extended back to the end of the Adelaide Test. I had no idea what day it was when uh, that test finished on the 20th of December. Uh, And then I spoke to you about it and said, well, hang on, I think most people don't have a clue right now. So let's just release story time on consecutive Wednesdays, Wednesdays rather, given how Mm -hmm. many daily podcasts there'll be given the Christmas Eve special. Of course, we can't control the day of Christmas Eve and that will be our main Mm -hmm. weekly show uh, that comes up in your feeds on the 24th and today's the 22nd. Mm -hmm. So here we are, an out-of-order story time. And I must admit, I'm a bit knocked about as well. I I had my... I believe the hype when it comes to getting knocked around a bit by the booster jab. Maybe it's because I didn't Mm. have Moderna previously. I had Pfizer the two previous times, but I'm not firing on all cylinders today. So I thought, what better way to use the time that I'm spending occasionally being quite cold, occasionally being quite warm than sitting under a blanket in the middle of December recording a podcast with you. Well, I'm sitting in Melbourne not sick and I'm occasionally quite cold and occasionally quite warm. Um, (laughs) It's been fairly erratic over the last couple of days and will probably continue to be. Something that might make people very warm is when they find out who we're speaking to for a Christmas interview. That has been lined up. It's going to be done and it may become apparent through the course of the show, coincidentally, who that is. So hang in there and wait to find out. Live shows, uh, we have reluctantly decided to pull the pin on Sydney, um, a range of things in that it was already difficult to sort out venues and then the COVID situation in Sydney is blowing up, which makes that harder still. We're running short of time to try to put it together. So apologies to Sydney. Uh, We were hoping to do that, but we'll have to do that at another time. Uh, The Melbourne show on the 12th at this stage is still going ahead. We've had a lot of tickets sold, so we want to try to put that show on for people if we can. Um, and if you want to pick up a ticket, they, they can be easily refunded if disaster strikes and, you know, the, the situation means that we have to call it off, but we're hoping to not do that. So check out the link in the thing below the show if you want to come on the 12th. Yeah, and try to if you can, if you're in Melbourne, finalwordcricket.com forward slash live. A lot of people have already bought tickets for the Seafarer show. We've got Chris Rogers with us for it. Uh, he is a brilliant guest. He's such an insightful person to talk to about cricket any old time, but up on stage talking about his own story. Adelaide was wonderful with Stephen Finn last week. As it happens, Finney and Chris are quite good mates, so they'll, he'll know full well what he's walking into when he jumps on stage at Seafarers on the 12th of January. And yeah, that that point of difference to Sydney simply being that we already had the venue lined up for Melbourne and the tickets were sold and the guest was booked and all the rest of it. With Sydney, there was that extra layer of complexity around COVID, but also that we didn't have those other boxes checked as hard as we tried. So it it feels to me like the prudent decision to crack on with Melbourne. And um, yeah, we're sorry about the the Sydney date being pencilled in, but not quite inked in. We'll make amends next year. I think we are likely to be able to do the Sydney final word cricket match though so and yes. that's 
That's going to happen, providing it happens, that's going to happen on the 26th, not on the 23rd, which I think is what we originally said. So slight revision there. But if you're a Final Word listener who wants to get in the Final Word 11 to play at the lovely Birchgrove Oval, um, drop us a line. The easiest way is on the Discord. If you're on the Patreon, uh, if not, you can find us on email or whatever else. And just on that, Jeff, we didn't do a live show in London this year for obvious reasons that you weren't there, but the cricket game we played at, at Dulwich Cricket Club effectively became a live show anyway, just because there was so much <laughs> so much fun to be had outside and uh, and we made the very most of that. So if you're a final word listener who was probably going to go to the live show, now it's not going to be the case. I'm tipping the, the day out with a couple of brick lanes and playing some cricket with some excellent opposition and Jeff steering the ship and captaining that team is going to be heaps of fun so fear mm-hmm. not there will be activity in sydney this year yes uh, activity will happen right let's do what we do on this show it'll be a, a little shorter and a little sharper this week but let's have a burst of a game that we like to call mm, nerd pledge nerd pledge uh, it's a game that we play with people on our patron page they fund the show they are the backers they are the mysterious the faceless financiers <laughs> the uh the the anonymous uh private trust that we don't have to declare to parliament uh, because we don't know nobody knows it's all a mystery no we do know who they are for the most part uh what happens is they send us contributions that are not necessarily round numbers of currency but they are less round numbers because they relate to cricket in some way and we have to deduce what the relationship is for instance luke richardson off the top coming through in great british pounds has sent 354 so 3.54 the decimal point could move. 354 could be interpreted in any way. What have you done with 354, Adam Collins? Yeah, Jeff, if, if you're a relatively new listener to The Final Word, maybe you found us through the daily shows. A lot of people were listening to those at Brisbane and Adelaide. What I'd say is this has been an incredibly useful show uh, to help broaden out my own cricket history knowledge, which was pretty good to start with, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to lie. But this week at Adelaide, the number of times I was able to dig into Storytime archives to pull up something mm-hmm. that I then talked about on radio it must have happened half a dozen times and that's a good thing it proves that uh it it proves that the sort of the work we're doing each week does find its way into other work that we're doing uh along the way and has Mm. been such a a lovely part of how we've been able to bring the show together and bring our patrons together over the last 18 months or so so that's the background to it all and most gratifying at that Uh, so 354 luke richardson okay so i started off by acknowledging that it was justin langer's test cap uh, mm-hmm. which probably uh, not for coming from England necessarily huge jail no. fans although maybe Somerset yeah well it, it could be it could be we have done Justin Langer Somerset crossovers before and we've also mm-hmm. talked about Dinesh Chandimal making 354 uh, in a first class game last year for the Sri Lankan Army Sports Club I always love what the names club. yeah I was going to say I always love the names of the of the Sri Lankan first class teams I, I wasn't familiar with Sri Lankan Army Sports Club I'd be an enthusiast of this if I lived in if I lived in Sri Lanka. But no, but we have done that 354 probably in the last couple of months. So I thought I'd leave that alone and, and look at some of batting averages instead. I kind of thought, you know, 35.4, yeah, that feels about right in terms of a middling player at test level or in one day terms, 
quite a healthy batting average. And someone who averaged that on the dot was none other than Paul Collingwood, who, you know, we, we, we I suppose we remember for lots of different reasons, but between 2001 and 2011, he was the definition of a staple of that England one-day team and T20 team yeah. as well. Of course, he led them to triumph at the T20 World Cup in the Windies in 2010. Um, he's still very much part of the England white ball system now, by the way. He's coaching uh, that series, uh, that, that, that 50-over series and 20-over series against the Windies for England immediately after the Ashes ends. It's just a crazy scheduling situation where the fifth Ashes test concludes in Hobart and I think two days later they play their first white ball game in the Caribbean so they'll they'll split the squads and, and Paul Collingwood will, will look after them there. But yeah, so... Well, you, you may, Adam, you may or may not remember uh, in the warm-up match before the 2019 World Cup, Australia played England at Southampton mm. and they, they had a, a bunch of players out injured already or like you know being protected against minor injuries and then they had a couple more go down on the field uh, so that in the second half of their fielding innings Paul Collingwood who was an assistant coach was out there fielding at gully um, and didn't look out of place like it, it looked you know it was a bit of a blast from the past I was doing the commentary on that game and it didn't feel unusual that he was there because he was moving as well as ever he looked as fit as ever and sure he, he was he was at gully for those 10 years or so that you mentioned bowling a bit batting well and and fielding in the gully well he only retired from first class cricket in 2018 so he played into his 40s I'm pretty sure he was 41 yeah. or 42 when he pulled the pins. So, yeah, it would line up if you wanted the subfielder. I suppose he would have done a better job as subfielder than when I was at a game at Swansea in 2015 and Gloucestershire were short a fielder and their assistant coach Ian Harvey walked on and by that point the freak had been retired for quite a long time of course he was brilliant in the field but yeah I think he might have been a few kegs above his playing weight whereas Paul Collingwood's mm-hmm. still a, a lean mean cricket machine early on I took great interest in his career because it felt like he was a, a product of Melbourne of course he wasn't he was playing first class cricket uh, in England uh, from the mid 90s onwards but he'd come out and play in the Victorian Premier Comp uh, and I reckon right. in 2000-2001 for Richmond he basically won the, the Premier Brownlow. He, he was uh, league best and fairest in that competition. And six months later, he's playing against Australia in that tri-series, getting his first opportunity at, at international level, uh, one-day level with Pakistan and Australia in town, a tri-series that we were talking about just a couple of weeks ago on Storytime. But that's where Paul Collingwood made his bow. Oh, and by the way, it is made their bow. We debated this on, was it the weekly show or the Storytime app we made the week before, whether it's you know, whether it should be making your bow, because you, you would imagine mm-hmm. it's about someone bowing on stage or making your bow and it was clarified on social media by a couple of different people that yes a fraction incongruous that it's probably about making your bow but um, making your bow rather but it's always the expression is making one's bow so there you go a little bit of an inconsistency but it okay. works for me so let's I don't just, believe it I still don't believe it I just, just bow just feels right feels right to me but, you know. Yeah, well, here it is. It's 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 uh, Paul Collingwood made his bow bow. Um, might be like bow, <laughs> might be like Bowie Bowie. You some, sometimes still hear Bow-bow. people say Bowie, David Bowie. It's only Americans who do that, though. They go, you know, David oh, I don't Bowie, Duran so. Duran. No, I I, I I I challenge that. I actually think it's. I think it's more something you hear in London, Bowie, as opposed to Bowie. Mm. I don't know. Hard to know for sure. I'm sure someone can tell us on on that, on Twitter why it is that, that it gets used in some places and not others. Alas. Um, let's get to why we want to talk about Paul Collingwood. Mostly because he provides a story of hope for England fans right now, to an extent. 
So there's the 0607 whitewash. Uh, yeah. And, of course, Paul Collingwood's a big part of that. People remember his double ton, his unbeaten double ton at Adelaide. 206 not out, Jeff, I think I'm right in saying. I didn't think there was a test match at Adelaide of course, that series. Yes, I keep being told it didn't happen. <laughs> well, uh, hypothecating that it did happen or, or, um, yeah. or surmising that it did, he, uh, in the losing team, of course, remarkable, he was the first England player to make a double ton in Australia for 78 years. So... Yeah, he really and, and and you know and by that point he was Paul Collingwood MBE right or OBE MBE yeah OBE uh, I think OBE for oh, having MBE MBE yeah because yeah, he was part of the O five Ashes squad he, he played the final Test match much to the derision of Shane Warne and, and so on in O six O seven but remember he was the guy in the O five one day series so four years on from his debut who took that screaming catch off uh, off Matthew Hayden wasn't it in that like real turning point weekend where. Uh, it's the first weekend of the one-day series. They've been beaten in the T20 down at uh, down at Southampton. On the Saturday, they lose to Bangladesh. And on the Sunday, more importantly, they lose to England uh, via a Kevin Peterson masterclass making 91. But the whole thing, the whole day's energy changed in, in the bowling innings when Collingwood took that extraordinary catch, which must go down as yeah. the, the greatest snaffle ever at backward point. So, yeah, he, he had some game and he was well and truly a member of the England squad by 06-07 when they lose 5-0. And he's an even bigger part of the one-day team. And when I say providing some hope to England fans, uh, I know they're not playing uh, one-dayers in Australia after the Test Series this time around. I already noted that they're going to the Caribbean. But they did turn it around and actually beat Australia in, in that, was probably called, Jeff, what, the VB Series or the, the Carlton United Series something or like that. Yeah. something like that. And they reached the final via Paul Collingwood uh, making making runs against New Zealand. I think he made 106 against New Zealand to get them to the final. And then in the first final at the Melbourne Cricket Ground, Collingwood makes an unbeaten 120. Then at Sydney in the second final, he makes 70 top scores and gets England uh, to the win there as well. So they beat Australia in straight sets via Collingwood after Collingwood had got them there from the ton against New Zealand to, to get into the top two as it was uh, back in those days. So, mm-hmm. yes, um, even though your test team might be rubbish at the moment and there is no answer there, don't let it lead you to believe that your one-day team won't still be stellar. That's what I'm taking from that, Jeff. And, of course, um, as I said before, his, his batting average in one-day internationals was 35.4 and across 197 matches, which meant at the end of his career he, he'd made the most number of runs for England, 5,092, a record which held and until Ian Bell overtook him in 2015, I think I'm right in saying. So, yeah, Paul Collingwood, interesting career, mostly for what he did at white ball level, but especially that little run he got on in Australia in, in 06, 07, which which was after they got pumped in the ashes. It felt right. I remember that innings. I was there uh, watching and they were, they were chasing and it came, I think it came mm. down to the last over um, and it was, right. it was a real tussle. But he, and, and, and wickets were going down. I think the, at the other end they were into the tail, like not, not like eight or nine down, but maybe six or seven down. And he, I, I remember him playing some version of like the lap sweep, kind of sco- almost scooping the fast bowlers, which wasn't really done at the time, but picking up boundaries through maybe deep third or fine leg, sort of picking the ball back up over his over his shoulder just about. It was quite an extraordinary innings and, and uh, quite a, a thrilling one to watch. So I like that. That links with, uh, with our Ashes theme over the last... Oh, I don't know, months that we've been talking about it. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're almost halfway through. So Luke Richardson, that could be it. Paul Collingwood's uh, one-day batting average. Let us know. Drop us uh, a line in the Discord or a DM. Our next one, 
longtime friend of the show, Mel Shawley, who is British, has visited Australia many times, but has pledged in Australian dollars. Curiously, I wonder what that's about. The number is $6.43. 643. Um, and Adam, as you're the local Mel Shawley expert, you've had many conversations. <laughs> I thought I'd leave this one to you. Yeah, I'm kind of knackered after doing the previous answer there for Luke Richardson, <laughs> kind of acknowledging again that having had this boost yesterday, my energy levels, I feel like Jed Bush, low energy Jed. Um, <laughs> uh, but yes, Mel Shawley, look, her pledging in Aussie dollars might be on the basis that she still has an Aussie account. She lived out okay. here for a long time, but very much now back in the UK, we met for the first time at the final word cricket game at Dulwich in September, but she's an absolute ripper. Now let's go through this. I worked through it methodically or sort of methodically anyway. Um, I'm, mm. I thought originally it might be a Tim Bresnan thing. Tim Bresnan's t- test cap number was 643. It could appeal about 1011 when he was he, instrumental. He's, he's probably on the shit list though, isn't he, Tim Bresnan? Well, he, he might be. He might be. But I mean, I don't know when this pledge came through. It probably came through before Azim Rafiq's testimony uh, at the uh, at the parliamentary committee. Yeah, I mean, the timelines don't quite cross over there. So, But she would have been there, I'm tipping, at Melbourne and Sydney in 10-11 when Bresnan got brought into the team to replace mm. Steve Finn and took two for 25, four for 50, three for 89, two for 51 and really bolted the house down throughout. So it's possible that's what she was referring to. It's less possible or less likely that she was uh, referring to one of the two times that 643 was made in Test cricket, although I note that one of those was in 2002 with Pakistan against New Zealand uh, when Inza Mamal Haq got his triple ton, his 329, oh, yeah. which of course was the same score that Michael Clark would get a decade later at the Sydney cricket ground, albeit unbeaten in Pup's case. And then I thought what's more likely, what's most likely, I'm in fact, I would be very surprised if it's not this, is the 643 minutes that Michael Atherton batted at the Bull Ring oh. uh, in 1995 for his unbeaten 185, which... I would be surprised if Mel wasn't at that. I know she was at Bulawayo and did the whole Zimbabwe tour in 1996 and she was a big part of the England touring crew for a number of years through the 90s and beyond. I'd be very surprised if she wasn't at Johannesburg for that famous day for Mike Atherton. Um, just, to mm-hmm. pr- just to back over the, the, the circumstances, because I know we, we talked about it, but it was a little while ago, England was set 479 in 165 overs, so 31 overs more than what England were asked to bat out at Adelaide for this week, so an entire session more. And they got through all of them, Atherton batting through all of them. He, he was out there for 492 balls himself. The last two sessions he had, of course, Jack Russell with him famously for a 235 delivery hand of 29 not out. I note here, by the way, that Russell also took 11 catches in that test, which was a, an England record overtaking Bob Taylor's 10. And the 11th catch was um, South African bad guy Clive Eckstein, who, Jeff, we both remember as the, uh, <laughs> the commercial manager, sales manager at Cricket South Africa years later yeah. during the 2018 test match at Port Elizabeth when he was posing for photos with plonkers who were wearing Sonny Bill Williams masks in uh, a misogynistic slur against David Warner's wife, uh, which I mean was which reflected so poorly upon Clive Eckstein that he got stood down. He got brought back to the organisation uh, in 2019 before ultimately losing his job a second time. Uh, so uh, yeah, bad guy Clive. Um, I won't go into too much depth about Mike's 185 not out though, Jeff, because mm. um, yes, hint hint. Watch this space. We might have an opportunity to talk about that with him. Say tomorrow. <laughs> 
Oh, that's very subtle, very subtle. Well, I mean, the, the question I've always been wanting to know is 479 in 165 overs, it's only about three and over. Why didn't they get the runs? Why didn't get the runs, Mike? What's all this, what's all this blocking it out? What's, why didn't you have a word to Jack Russell? Not, not just single, three and over. Come on. I think that might be to do with the fact that he lost so many batting partners on the fourth day, and by the time Jack mm. rocks up around lunch on day five, it's like we are... We are sort of all chance of seeing this through, but but mm-hmm. so it was. In fact, it was quite an interesting moment on radio this week, or a funny moment, more to the point, when we were going through, you know, crazy draws and, you know, teams that batted for over a day to win or to, to square test matches. And, and no one raised Johannesburg with Mike on the commentary stint, so he kind of brought it up himself. Not not in a not in a <laughs> boastful way, just in a... Well, yes, I mean, in my experience of a rearguard effort batting for a long period of time, and everyone's like... Oh, yeah, that's the sort of thing that we should have brought up with you, given you played the, arguably, the most famous innings to save a test match in the last 30 years. So so it was a a nice moment on the final day of comms. (laughs) All right. Well, that could be it. It probably is it for Mel Shirley. 6.43. We've got a double header next up. It's 3.61 Aussie dollars from Fran and from Nick O'Connell. Right, so Fran was working in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens when her boyfriend kicked her out in one of those crushing scenes. What was she Mm. to do? Where was she to go? She was out on her fanny. Uh, Right, so Fran says, my clue is my email address. That'll probably repudiate what I just said because her email address almost certainly won't be frandresher at hotmail.com. Her email Mm -hmm. address does, however, Jeff, involve a mention of Darren Goff. Take it away. Yes, yes. We generally don't give out people's personal details, but I think we can obliquely say that it does refer to Darren Goff in some way. Okay, so 361, Darren Goff. Well, so near but yet so far. Darren Goff's bowling strike rate in one-day cricket, speaking of English one-day international players, was 36.04. So if you were rounding, you'd have to round that down. We know that. But I suppose if you, I'd like maybe you could interpret it as thirty six point one. If you were like, it's above thirty six. I don't know. You've got a real problem with rounding. This is like the third I time know you've how done rounding. this. Hey, I'm totally across rounding. The five was the only one that puzzled me, but we've we've put that to bed now. So two hundred and thirty five wickets with one every six overs, pretty good going. But there's nothing else in his career numbers that suggests thirty six point one or three point six one. But but talking about England tours in the 90s, uh, when England toured New Zealand in 1996, Darren Goff took 19 wickets in the series at a cost of 361 mm. runs. So an average of 19 in the series, that was his best average in a series ever. So maybe the 361 seems significant. They drew the first test. The significant part for Goff was that he took nine wickets in Wellington in the second test and they won that by an innings. Yep. And then, and then he was important again in the third test because this was a really good test match, actually, speaking of big fourth innings, because New Zealand made 346, kept England to 228. So England are trailing by 118 on the first innings. And then Darren Goff takes three for not many while bowling them out for 186. Keeps it just within reach. They need 305 to chase. And guess who should make a big hundred in the run chase to get them their six wickets down? None other than Michael Atherton. Ah, very good. We're all over Athers here. So... This is we don't we don't cook the numbers. This just comes through. We we have coincidentally had two Atherton numbers come through in a show where we're hinting at something that might involve Michael Atherton. Yep, yep, that works for me. Uh, and I think because of that, Jeff uh, Fran 
Well, not because of that. This was preordained based on where her number came in the queue. But nevertheless, um, pledging as she did in AUD, it suggests she's probably in Australia and Mm -hmm. she'll be able to put to good use the the slab of Brick Lane that she'll be able to send either to her door uh, or to someone else's. In Australia, that is. To her door. She said, I'm not standing by to to let my mouth get dry. (laughs) So give me Brick Lane at my door. Uh, Yeah, it's going to happen. We're probably going to get sued for copyright for that. Um, I've, I've already stolen Paul Kelly's How to Make Gravy for the Steve Smith rewrite and, and uh, now we're going through the whole back catalogue. Yes, Fran, uh, bricklanebrewing.com. They have lots of nice beers there. You can get 15% off uh, with the code MARSH182 if you put that in. And Fran gets to be the uh, the giver or the receiver of a slab. You, you could have the Christmas spirit, Fran, and send it to someone else or you can keep it for yourself. Uh, they've got a large range of beers, some of them gold medal winning at world beer competitions. The One Love Pale Ale, that's one that this that won a, won a gold medal for the best pale ale in the world at the World Beer Awards. So check them out. And if you don't like drinking, they've got low alcohol options as well. Yes, and Brick Lane are in the running to win some other awards right now for the Hottest 100, the Gab's Hottest 100 Aussie Craft Beers 2021. You'll get the opportunity to vote for Brick Lane over the next couple of weeks. In fact, Jeff, what we'll do is we'll pop in the show notes mm-hmm. some information as to how you might go about doing that. We would love you to support Brick Lane by voting for them. We'll also bung some of this on the social media. The one loves in the running, so is the Sidewinder. Uh, and a couple of other of their drops. So uh, thank you to Bricklain for being continued and wonderful supporters of ours. So hopefully we can give a bit back to them by uh, driving a few votes their way as they try and uh, win yet more awards after being so successful a couple of months ago. Can never have too many awards. That's what I always say. Uh, we like to talk on the final word sometimes about philosophy. We, we had a chat about Thomas Aquinas and the problem of evil a couple of weeks ago. So Nick's clue says this, Rust Cole said that time is a flat circle. Hmm, he did. But he's only half right for this player. The shape is a little wrong. I'm sure that won't put you off from marching on together and using these double clues to work out who this all-round legend is. Yeah, so a bit going on here. So what we were able to nut out between Jeff and myself is that if we're looking at a circle but not quite, then that's probably the oval. And Marching On Together is the lead song, so thus probably Headingly. So we're kind of thinking about someone who is an all-round legend at both Surrey and Yorkshire. At least that's how I've interpreted it so far. I mean, there was an option to look at who'd done something great at both the Oval and at Headingly, and the numbers would have needed to have lined up for this. But Mark Butcher, of course, a Surrey great. Uh, We spoke to Butcher at length on the show earlier this year about the time uh, he... Well, he made 173 night out and chased down 315 to win an Ashes Test at Headingley, but that's not that's not 361, and he's not an all round legend despite having been a useful bowler, a, a useful partnership breaker, but he wasn't an all rounder as such. Uh, and then mm. you're kind of looking at other Headingley greats. Well, there's Stokes and Botham for England, that is, who did extraordinary things uh, for their country. Stokes, I can't really see where there's a Surrey connection, uh, nor is there really one there for Botham. So I, I moved beyond that. Mm. I thought, well... You and know, Bradman, Bradman has great innings at the Oval and at Headingley, but true. there's nothing there for 361, I wouldn't have thought, and wasn't really an all-rounder. Yeah. But, you know, bowled occasionally. Well, the closest crossover I could find and could think of, well, the, the one that first came to mind anyway was 
Gareth Batty, who's just retired, Jeff, by the way. Uh, yeah. I think at age 43, 42, Sounds 43, right. he's finally put the cue in the rack after a career that started back in 1997. So in terms of players who are left who played in the 90s in England... Uh, Peter Trigo, I reckon, debuted in 1999. Oh, and of course, Darren Stevens, who made his bow in uh, 1974, I think it was. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, the uh, but yes, Batty was one of a handful who was still kicking around from the 90s. And the question is, do you cl- declare him an all-rounder? Well, the, the, when I interrogated the numbers, I think I probably do, you know. He made three first-class hundreds and 30 first-class 50s across a career that, uh, saw him average yeah. 23 with the bat. I know he was never sort of picked as an all-rounder, but in terms of an off-spinner who gave very useful runs, excuse the cliche, um, mm. I, I think he... Knew how to hold the bat. Knew how to hold no the bat. No mug. Well, a- averaging 23 across a, a yeah. quarter of a century career, that's no mean feat. I know he batted down towards the bottom of the list in recent years, but he, he had his moments at, well, Yorkshire, but then he went Yorkshire, Surrey, Worcester, Surrey, and... Most of his mm. England caps when playing for Worcestershire before coming back to Surrey uh, in the early 2010s, captaining the club. In fact, and Bats is probably too modest to say this himself, but a lot of people credit him as being really important in helping the club through the, the Tom Maynard tragedy in 2012 when he was, I think he was already leading the club at that stage. He certainly was in the years that followed. And there was a beautiful piece that Vidushan Hunteraja, our friend Vish, wrote about this very topic when they got promoted out of the second division in what must have been 2015 or 2016, something like that, which I recommend going back and, and digging out where, where Vish talks about how Surrey kind of found its bearings again after that horrible event. But yeah, Bats was really crucial through that stage. In terms of where the numbers add up here, I mean, I'm, I'm not entirely sure they do for 361. I can't find anything relating to 361 across his 24 years as a first-class player and his 20 games for England. I will say, though, that when I spoke to him a couple of years ago about his longevity, I interviewed him for a column. He told me all about his early days of playing first-class cricket. His debut was actually in 1997 at Headingley, where he picked up Neil Fairbrother and Andy Flintoff on debut. So Neil Fairbrother, who kind of goes all the way back to the mid-80s when he first uh, first emerged on the scene. So that gives a sense of just how long uh, Batty was a fixture of the England circuit. And he also tells a good story about his first stint at Surrey when he was bowling from the Vauxhall end before they built the OCS stand. So, Jeff, uh, I mean, I've, I was never at the Oval before that stand went up in, oh, was it 2003, 2004, something like that. But I've certainly seen photographs of it. And as Bats explains, when you got pumped over your head at that end in those days you had to run an awful lot lot, lot further back than having the protection of a huge grandstand there so and as an off spinner I suppose you're you're fairly regularly pumped over back over your head so um, but no a a different sort of career when he came back to Surrey uh, when the club was was, was more developed and the ground was more developed there at the Oval Um, I asked a couple of others uh, namely Lawrence Booth and Dan Norcross whether they could think of any other all-rounders that would tick the box as being champions at both Surrey and Yorkshire it was the middle of the night in England so Norcross hasn't got back to me yet. Lawrence, I didn't have the caveat of it needing to be a champion. Matt Lawrence has made the point that Matt Pilans is a Colpac player who's got an English passport, who's played at both clubs as an all-rounder in more recent times, but it's probably not him given the clue. So, uh, Nick, with all of that said, I, I acknowledge that the probability of this being Gareth Batty isn't high, but I thought it was worth just taking a moment to talk about him for a couple of minutes and, and look forward to finding out what 361 relates to and we'll, and we'll deal with that on revisits in a couple of weeks. All right. Uh, thank Thank you, Adam, for the Gareth Batty tour. 
Hi, I'm Brian Roddle. You're listening to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Now, we have a number from Trev from Perth, the uh, correspondent who wrote the most excellent Zolio song for us. <laughs> We've been doing, been doing stuff with Zolio, the, the satellite communications folks through the Daily Show. Um, if you haven't heard that, you can win one uh, with a year subscription. It's worth a thousand bucks. Go and find the link in, in the, the notes for one of the Daily Shows. Well worth doing. We'll take none of your time. But Trev, uh, yeah, Trev Pender, a, a passionate ode to Zolio, which we read on the show at one point, one of our finest pieces of, um, of audience interaction. <laughs> His number is 533 Aussie dollars. Yes, and it comes with a clue. Uh, thank you, Trev. Uh, my new pledge of 533 is all about Australia's best ever bowlers. It will probably generate some disagreement, but the stats don't lie, do they? Dun, 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 do they? Um, best ever bowlers, 533. Well, there was a point where Shane Warne took the world record for the most wickets when he went past Morley, and that was when Warne got his 533rd wicket. But obviously the lead changed hands after that as well. So my first thought was, is this someone who got a couple of cheap wickets? They would have needed to get three cheap wickets and ended up with a career average of 5.33. But there's nobody in any format, men's or women's, who has an average of 5.33 except for three bowlers in women's T20s, uh, one from Indonesia, one from China, one from the Netherlands, uh, when they opened up the stats category more recently to include all of those matches. So it may sound crazy to have a career average of 5.33 with the ball, but it happens when a player who doesn't bowl much has maybe one opportunity. So we talked about Alfred Littleton, the wicketkeeper, who took four for 19 yep. for England about 150 years ago. That was his only bowling innings, so he has a career average of 4.75, for instance. There are, in fact, three players in men's test cricket with an average of zero runs per wicket. Three <laughs> wicket takers who, who never gave away a run. So Wilf Barber was a, an English batsman who bowled two deliveries and took one wicket in 1935. There's a good story about that match, but I'll, I'll have to do that another time. Uh, Bruce Murray, a New Zealander, bowled one over for one wicket in 1968. Uh, and our old friend Monkey Hornby, who we've talked about on the show, bowled 28 deliveries. He bowled seven four-ball overs without conceding a run while taking one wicket on debut in 1879 and never bowled again. So each of those players has one wicket for no runs. But this led me to something else. Else. Now, we mentioned on the show, I think, uh, Rick Finlay, the great ABC statistician who produced this stat about Marcus Harris, which was that out of every player who had opened in test cricket at least 20 times, there were 233 players who'd done that. And Marcus Harris was in the bottom 10 for averages. He was... 223rd out of 233 for the worst averages as an opening bat. I think he's gone one more down the list now. Maybe he's ninth from the bottom now. But one of the players who was worse than Marcus Harris was an Indian opener called Syed Abid Ali, who was more of a middle-order player but got jammed in as an opener in the 1960s and 70s just to try to do a job. So, you know, fed to the wolves a bit, Syed Abid Ali, but he's on that list with these terrible averages, right? Average about 20 as an opener in test cricket. So, this match involving Bruce Murray, this is New Zealand versus India in Wellington in 1968. India 
that really well. Adam's friend Bapu Nadkani, um, the guy with the, <laughs> the the longest, most economical spell in Test cricket, <laughs> takes six for. And India only need fifty nine to win. And so basically, just having a laugh. New Zealand captain Graham Dowling uses seven bowlers in that final innings, and with two runs to win, he gives an over to his opening bat, Bruce Murray who will bowl his only over in Test cricket. Bruce Murray promptly takes a wicket, caught behind, and the man he dismissed was, of course, Syed Abid <laughs> Ali. <laughs> now, look, none of this really actually relates to Trev's number, but I, I couldn't resist putting the story in there. But what I do think might relate to it is this. I got my start in sports writing at a website called The Raw, as in R-O-A-R, which is an Australian sports website and you know i still go back and read bits and pieces on the raw from time to time and i remembered that there was a series of articles done maybe a year or two ago by a mysterious contributor known only as matt h who did a bunch of deep stats analysis on cricket of the kind that someone like me really enjoys and he was coming up with new metrics to measure the effectiveness of bowlers and what he broke it down to was what was their average number of wickets taken in victories so who who took wickets when australia won and one of the very best numbers with an average of wickets in wins of 5.33 wickets in winning matches was richie benno he wasn't the best ever for Australia. There are a few who are higher. Um, Clary Grimmett, of course. Um, Bill O'Reilly, Shane Warne amongst mm. the leg spinners. Dennis Lilly, Garth McKenzie, Bruce Reid. There are a few who ranked higher. But if Trev was saying... If Trev's clue says Australia's best ever bowlers, not bowler. Best yep. ever bowlers. And stats don't lie. So is Trev pointing to this series of articles, this series of stats analysis, saying that there is a new metric for measuring the effectiveness of bowlers and does it relate to Richie Benno's 5.33? Richie, of course, being the accidental reason that Nerd Pledge even exists with a pledge of $2.22 back in the day. Could that be your 5.33, Trev? I love it. I think it's perfect. I mean, the pluralised bowlers, not saying bowler, the fact that it's Richie, the nerd pledge connection. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's that's green lights from me all through. Uh, thank you, Trev, for giving us the chance to debate it. But uh, yeah, I reckon you've got it in one. Excellent. I'm glad to have the support. Um, yeah, just well, maybe I'll pop a link to one of the Matt Age pieces in the, in the show notes and you can click through to that if you're interested in nerding out uh, as we were. We've got one more number. It is $3.11 and it comes in from Sukrit Munjal. All right. Thank you, Sukrit. Whenever I see 311, it's not the first time we've had this pledge. I remember the band 311 who were quite big. When I was an exchange student in East Aurora, New York, up towards Buffalo yeah. in 2001, 2002, there was a song called I'll Be Here A While by a band called 311. In fact, DC, let's drop in a bit here. Oh, 
what was in the rotation for them for me it, w- it was probably that it was Afro Man and then I got High mm-hmm. and uh, and Weezer Hashpipe which might give you a bit of a sense of what I was up to uh, in my high school year at least initially at East Aurora anyway and also playing football for the Varsity Gridiron team three eleven baseball later in the year as well how many how many bands are there that are just numbers I mean there are, there are plenty with numbers there's like you you be forty and you're some thirty one some, some forty some forty one some forty one yeah what is it is it ninety eight degrees who I can't remember if there's a ninety eight degrees who do as I mm-hmm. Google it who do a um uh, yeah, I am right. Who do a version of Oh Holy Night, which was quite the thing right. around about 25 Christmases ago. Get that, on, <laughs> get that on your playlist this weekend. If that's indeed when Christmas <laughs> is, who, who would know? I don't think there are many good bands with numbers in the Three Doors Down. That supports my theory. Three Doors Down. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's true. I can't, I can't think of any bands that are in my sort of frame that are just East numbers 17. only. East 17. Yeah, I spend a lot of time out at Walthamstow, East 17. Right. Uh, how, how about the three, 311 clue here? Um, here from Sukrit. Uh, had to change it to 311 instead of the originally planned 131 as pledges under $2 are not possible. Anyway, the bowling <laughs> figures are 1 for 31 or 31 for 1 if you want to read it that way. So we're looking for bowling figures of 1 for 31, 311. You can make your pledge lower than 200 if you wish to, Jeff, if that's really what there's you want to do. There is a way. There is a way to... There's a way to do it. I find it confusing myself. I think it's if you don't select a tier. But basically, if you want, if you can't put in the number you want, you can just send us a message with the number you do want if it can't match up to your other number. So there are ways. But Sukrit, I love your ingenuity in finding a way to do this. And thank you for the 311. So here we go. There are a lot of instances of one for 31 in cricket. Usually we look at test cricket as our default. Even looking at the list in men's test cricket, there were heaps. So I took a punt and narrowed this down to Indian players who've taken one for 31. Now, curiously, the first two instances of this happening ever for India happen in the same test innings. You would love that, Adam. It doesn't Absolutely. happen until, until the 40s. I mean, they haven't been playing that long, but then it happens twice. So Lala Amanath and Vinu Mankad both take one for 31 in Sydney, in December 1947. This may start to ring a few bells for some people. So, and this was a game when the mighty could have fallen. Bradman's side could have lost to India. So India didn't look great. They made 188. But then they come out and roll over Australia for 107. Bradman's out for 13. India are going badly second time around, 61 for seven, but they've still got a lead of 142 on a pitch where no one has been able to make runs. The thing is that all of this happens over the course of six days, <laughs> these, these innings, because it's raining all the time. Very, very surprising up there. In Sydney. And it's a washout. In Sydney. In Sydney. Yeah, I know. There's right. a test match in Sydney where it's been rain affected. Yeah, got washed out. No. Um, you wouldn't credit it. No. So you can tell we're very resentful about the fact that people say it rains in Melbourne all the time. Very low average rainfall, actually, in Melbourne. Um, but <laughs> very, very salty down here about the rainfall thing. So, look, it gets washed out and, and India don't get the chance to have a crack. But the thing to notice is that Vino Mankad took one for 31, sure, but also affected another dismissal, Adam. Uh, Australia, 25 without <laughs> loss when he runs out, Bill Brown at the non-strikers end, deservedly so. From that point, Australia lose 10 for 82. So we don't... We, we talk about the Mancad-Brown dismissal, uh, but we don't necessarily recognise that it triggered a collapse of 10 for 82. That's why people were sucking it up. I didn't know Probably. that Australia fell on a heap afterwards, so... Yeah. Oh, uh, that... 
makes a bit more sense now. So that's mm-hmm. why people had such a hissy fit at the time. It was the yep. wicket that brought upon the collapse. Yep. And they, they might have lost the test match had, had the rain not intervened. So that's where I think this is going because that is a, that is a landmark moment, that yep. innings that deserves to be recognised. But there's a little extra sauce on top of the, the 131 for Love Sir Chris Okay. Lala Amanath took the same figures again in 1952. Exactly the same analysis, one for 31. In between those two instances, his son was born, Mahinda Amanath, who went on to play for India. In 1985 in Colombo, Mahinda Amanath takes one for 31. (laughs) Three times in the same family, one for 31. Twice for Lala Amanath. And then I thought, well, has anyone else done it twice? In 1969 and in 1974, once in Nagpur and once in Manchester, with bowling figures of one for 31, Syed Abid Ali, (laughs) the worst opener in the history of Indian cricket, took one for 31 twice in test cricket, and that is what Nerf Pledge is all about. Jeff, it might have been a short story time today due to, you know, aforementioned diary problems and all the rest that's going on in our lives right now, but it is all worth it for you to go bang, bang with your last two um, (laughs) and one for 31. Not even the best bowler take one for 31 in your own family. And then then say it Abed Ali to put a full stop on it. I mean, I must admit, you know how I said at the start of the show I was sitting under a blanket? I'm now... Mm -hmm laying under a blanket I'm, I'm actually laying down as I record this um, okay. I'm, I'm slightly poorly but that okay. has made me feel better I feel yep. I, I'm better for knowing that yep and and look a week ago two weeks ago when Rick Finlay put that set up I didn't know anything about Sayed Abid Ali and now I know a lot more about him <laughs> and I intend to know a lot more as the weeks go on so this is what it's all about go go out go forth today and look up Sayed Abid Ali and find out what you can about him if you like what we do on this show, we'd love to have you formally part of it by joining our Patreon page. The be- the beauty of joining the Patreon page is you can do two things. You can support what we're doing here, which means, you know, discounted tickets to live shows and generally having a, a warm and fuzzy feeling for supporting independent journalism and podcasting is what we're trying to do week in, week out. But also uh, you can participate on the Discord page, which mm-hmm. uh, continues to go off like the proverbial frog in a sock, especially during playing days. I've noted during England, uh, Australia at the moment. I'm not on there a lot, but I do drop in. I am what used to be described as on on forums as a lurker these days. I don't reply an awful lot, but I come by and swing by and and dip in and out. I'll do some (laughs) more replying when I'm not working 16 hours a day. And that's a good thing, of course. I'm not complaining about my workload. Just that uh, it makes it hard during a playing day to actually engage in conversation. But there's no reason why you can't do uh, as many people have done uh, over the last few weeks and join us on patreon.com forward slash the final word and send in a nerd pledge and we'll consider that here on story time and if we're not right and i would suggest that we haven't been right too often today uh we can come back and revisit it revisit your number in in the second swing we're going to do some big gigantic omnibus revisit shows in january uh, probably in the middle of january Well, a third reason to do it is that you you have like a one in four, one in five chance of winning a slab uh, or giving someone a slab. So, you know, you put two bucks down and you've got a one in 
poor chance of winning a slab. Exactly. Much more than that. Uh, look, and it's fun. It's story time. It's what we do. Uh, we enjoy it. And uh, presumably you enjoy it too because you're listening at the end of the show. Thank you for listening. This has been The Final Word. It's on the Bad Producer Podcast Network. Lots of other shows available there as well on other non-cricket topics. Edited by Dave Collins. Uh, thanks to Brick Lane for supporting us. And uh, thanks to you for listening, Jeff Lemon. Adam Collins uh, will be back with our Christmas show with a very unknown guest. You will not have worked out who it is by now. Uh, um, we'll have the daily shows through the Boxing Day test. We'll have our New Year's show. We'll have story times. It's all going to be happening on the feed. See you there. Get your booster. Thanks for listening to the Final Word Cricket Podcast. All of Adam and Jeff's previous episodes are available at finalwordcricket.com, including Storytime 20. That's 40 story times ago. 40. Almost a year's worth of nerd pledge. Why Storytime 20? Because it features comedian Will Anderson. It's a great chat. I think you're going to love it. Finalwordcricket.com for all things Final Word. And thanks once again to our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Shop online at bricklanebrewing.com. Thanks for listening. More from Adam and Jeff real soon.